everyone. This is Charlie Levine, and you are listening to the Angler's Journal Podcast, brought to you by Angler's Journal Magazine. If you're looking for a different fishing magazine that isn't just full of the same old, same old stuff that actually writes some in-depth stories about the people and places and boats and all the cool stuff that makes fishing great, check out anglersjournal.com and pick up a subscription. The Angler's Journal Podcast is brought to you by Atlantis Marine Finance. You know, Myself, I just unloaded my boat, and I'm without a boat for the first time in like 15 years. And I'm already looking around. I got ideas. I think a few different things I want to purchase or, you know, future shopping as it is. But when it comes time to do it, I'm going to need to finance that boat. And Atlantis Marine Finance is a great option. They've got a lot of experience. They've got a team of industry pros, actual boat owners. They have the knowledge and resources to help you get on the water So if you're looking to purchase a new boat or a used boat or even a project boat, Atlantis Marine Finance will give you all the educational resources you need to make a good decision and help you down that path to your next boat purchase. For more information, visit AtlantisMarineFinance.com and good luck. Get out there and get that boat. Hey everyone, this is Charlie Levine, Editor-in-Chief of Angler's Journal Magazine, and today on the podcast I am joined by a former colleague of mine, a guy I've known a long time, someone who's been working in the fishing industry for probably longer than he wants to admit. Um, Right now he's the president of the American Sport Fishing Association. Glenn Hughes, welcome so much to the podcast. Thanks for making the time. Hi Charlie, thanks for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Yeah, so how are things up in Virginia? Things are good, actually. We have had a, a productive couple of years, believe it or not. And all the turmoil that takes place here around Washington, D.C., we've still been able to accomplish a lot as well as stop a few bad bills from happening. Yes, I know you are constantly keeping your thumb on the pulse and you have a great staff there who's very dialed in. And I thought it would be interesting for our listeners who are mostly just anglers to learn more about sort of the back end of the fishing industry. And, um, you know, you obviously were in magazine publishing for a long time. And how long have you been with ASA now? Believe it or not, it's already my 10th year here up in D.C. And uh, it's such a different world. And it's certainly not for the faint of heart, but uh, it's an experience that has been well worth uh, going through and, and like to think making a positive impact. Sure. And so let me, hopefully I don't mess this up, but ASA, it's all of its members are uh, fishing tackle companies, rods, reels, fishing line, um, kayaks, that kind of stuff. And what you do is you help support them by making sure the fisheries are uh, protected and healthy and also things like um, uh, taxes, excise taxes, making sure that money is used appropriately and that kind of stuff. Did I get that right? It's a a good start. So I I like to mention that uh, we do certainly first kind of say rods, reels, lines, and lures. And out of our 800 members, that actually makes up about 300 of the companies. Uh, There's another 300 or so that are what we call uh, allied manufacturers, non-sport fishing manufacturers, everybody from Coast of Sunglasses to uh, boat and engine companies that are also members to uh, technical clothing make up a lot of them. And then the rest are a mix of, of state and federal agencies and, and uh, wholesalers and, and representatives. But it's quite a mix of, of about 800 companies that uh, 
all work together for the, the common cause. Our mission is to look out for the interests of the sport fishing industry and the entire recreational fishing community. So whatever goes with that, it's really focused on our pillars of we want clean water, we want access to fish, we want abundant fisheries, we want uh, quality trade and commerce, and last but not least, we want to increase participation in fishing. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's a big job. <laughs> Those are some, some large responsibilities. And um, you did mention participation. Now we saw a big boom during the pandemic. And I remember at um, this past ICAST, I went to the breakfast and was listening to you speak about how the numbers are sort of normalizing. But I was super impressed with the amount of people that are out on the water, whether it's a river or a pond or the ocean or I mean, it's astounding how many people are fishing. Yeah, it, it's a big number. And uh, we go based off of an outdoor foundation research study they do for the Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation, RBFF. They've done an annual survey for about 15 years that kind of gives us that relative number from year to year. And they would say in the year 2021, we don't have 22 numbers yet, in 2021, we had 52.4 million people go fishing at least once. Wow. And that's a big number. Uh, it's down from 2020, as you can imagine. We had about 3 million more anglers, and we have what we call the leaky bucket. We had about, in 2020, we had about 14 million new anglers. Or excuse me, well, I, I, I don't want to mix, I want to be careful mixing these numbers. You have all these new anglers that come in and, and re returning anglers, and then you have ang anglers that fell out. We had about an increase of pl four plus million in 2020. And then we lost a lot of them in 21, or we have the leaky bucket. About 11 million anglers came in and 14, mangler, angler, 14 million anglers came out. So 52.4 is a lot, but it was on the decline. And, and I'm concerned that 2022 is going to show a decline as well when we see the numbers in June. Yeah, and you made a really good point when you had that speech, um, you know, post-pandemic Youth sports were kicking back off, you know, all of the sporting events were open, people were able to travel, so it made sense, and it was just normalizing, and it kind of got misconstrued by some folks, but I look at that number, and it's encouraging to me. Um, I think the biggest trick that you guys have to, or hurdle to overcome, is make sure that people are getting on good fishing, and that's obviously a big, big part of what you do as well, and I've you know, met several of your staff members and it's, it's nice to see. And, and I don't think our listeners realize that, you know, you're representing them up there on Capitol Hill. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it's a, uh, yeah, I, like you said, I've got an amazing staff uh, led by uh, Mike Leonard, who is the vice president of government affairs here. He's in his 15th year with the organization, but a, a young buck who's, who's, who's really made a, a name for himself here, does amazing work in not only uh, working with, with Congress and the administration up here, but working with other organizations to come up with the right, you know, solutions to some of the fisheries problems that we might have. And he, he's, he's had a huge impact on, on, on Congress and the administration and, and the rest of the associations involved here. So he and his team uh, around the country have, are, are certainly making a name for not only ASA, but but for fishing and outdoor recreation in general. And it seems to me, you know, I, I call myself an outsider, but I guess I'm pretty dialed in. I pay attention. And 
they it seems to me that the politicians are listening more now because the numbers are so large the numbers of anglers and then also the economic uh driver that is fishing between all of these tackle sales apparel sales and then people start traveling and you're talking about boats and motors and fuel and it seems that's been a very powerful way to get a politician's ear especially in states that have ocean access Um, that's true do you feel that in your time at asa in the last decade that it's improved or is it sort of status quo um i don't know are they listening bye I, I'm sure I am biased, but I think over the last 10 years, uh, the visibility, the branding, the awareness has grown dramatically, and, and, and not because of me, but because of a combination of things. So outdoor recreation has become that much more important, and that's become a catchphrase here in D.C. And uh, ASA and 40 other organizations that do some form of outdoor recreation have, have come together to create the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable. And this group has done an amazing job in, in raising the awareness of the, the value and economic value and health you know, positive value for outdoor recreation and shows that it's worth over 2% of the gross GDP uh, here in the, in the country, over $800 billion, over 5 million jobs. And, uh, and so that turns heads. And, and the, the cool thing about that is you know, fishing and boating are, are the biggest uh, supporters and drivers of that outdoor recreation when you combine them. And and that makes fishing bigger than, than it was if it was just us trying to pass laws and uh, you know on the hill. So sure. it's really been a, a boost over the last four or five years and, and open doors that, uh, not that they were closed, but they're, they're more welcoming to, to hear what we have to say now. And it generates a lot of jobs, and, and that's a big buzzword yeah. right now, too. Yeah. You know, even for fishing, it's over 800,000 jobs in fishing across the country. And, and that's a lot. And, uh, you know, as we've always said, you and I say, going, going back, you, you got into the fishing business, you, didn't, you weren't doing it to get rich, but it's, it's not a bad lifestyle, right? That's true. <laughs> it's been good to me. The perks are pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. So if you're one of these companies like, you know, Mustad or one of these large companies that lives in this sector, um, how hard is it to to keep a business like that going when you're, you know, your whole business depends on good weather and access and healthy fishing? Um, yeah. So the, the thing about the fishing tackle business is that the margins are, are pretty small and a lot of your listeners may not be aware that uh, all, all, the, all the fishing tackle companies, any rod, reel, line, and lure manufacturers, as well as nets and, and uh, trolling motors and uh, so many other products, contribute to the Sport Fish Restoration Fund. And this is a law that was passed back in 1950 called the Dingle Johnson Act. And this fund has now contributed uh, in excess of $10 billion over the last 70 years and it's combined with some other funds for motorboat fuel tax. But just in 2020 alone, there's about $200 million that were paid by the sport fish manufacturers to the federal government to support this, this clean water and access to fish, et cetera. And I say that because so that's, that's right off the top. And then the, the margins that they try to carry on this product 
you know, part of the reason you're not going to find as many manufacturers here in the U.S. anymore because it, it wasn't cost effective. Uh, there's there is product made in the U.S., but it's probably as much as 40% could be less than that that's made here in the U.S. and, and 60% overseas. A lot of that China, mm-hmm. and so these these folks are. It's hard to make a living in the fishing tackle business, and it's also just inconsistent. What happened in 2020? Uh, it sounded all well and good, but when, when the business was all but shut down in March of 2020, into t- near the end of April of 2020, uh, these businesses more or less came to a halt. And then when it exploded, well, they couldn't keep up with manufacturing or distribution and getting the product over here. Uh, now we have too much product over here, and uh, and whether it's at the retail level or the distributor or the manufacturer, and so sales really need to move. For, for new sales to take place. And so the inconsistency from year to year, quarter to quarter, month to month is, is fairly dramatic. And so it's, uh, it's very difficult. <laughs> Back to your original question. It is. And I see it and I appreciate it and I, I kind of understand it. Um, but that's funny you bring that up because, you know, here in Florida, the tackle shops were empty and all you heard is, oh, yeah, we can't get any product. And just what you're saying, I'm witnessing it. Um, you know, a lot of sales and things are as, cause now that this time of year, new products start showing up too for the, the year. Um, yep. which kind of brings me into something else I wanted to talk about was iCast. So iCast is the big industry trade show where all of the members, all these companies come and they show off their new wares and buyers come and buy stuff. And there's these new product showcases and all that stuff. And it always kind of surprised me. I think it's great that companies will use um, their awards in their marketing materials, but I don't know if, I don't know if everyone knows what iCast is. If you're not in the fishing industry, if you're just looking for a decent rod. So school us, Glenn, tell us us more about iCast. Well, what's fun is when we ask people, what does it actually stand for? And even most of our members can't say it, (laughs) but it is the international convention of allied sport fishing trades. And so it's our annual trade show for the fishing tackle industry. It's been going on for 65 years. By the way, AFA is 90 years old this year. Wow. So we're celebrating that throughout the year. And, uh, yeah, this will be the 66th trade show. This is the 25th year we've called it ICAST. And it is that meeting of the minds of the sport fishing industry. So we'll have in the neighborhood of 600 exhibitors. We'll have uh, over a thousand different retailers there, meaning like Walmart's one and Bass Pro's one, and uh, and, and 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 over twelve thousand of our closest friends and family will will be on on hand there at the show, and it, it's it's where commerce takes place, it's where uh, media takes place to learn about the new products, and and uh, and really it's just a, an awesome time to get together with the industry to talk about what's going on and everything from fisheries management to participation and, and to trade and commerce. So uh, I've been enjoying going to the show since 1989. And, and just, it's just about my favorite week of the year. It is Christmas every year in July. It is a great show. I go to a lot of boat shows and stuff and it, it's my favorite show that I attend to. And great. it's, I think it's just because I love fishing. I mean, I love boats and all that stuff too, but it's so fun to play around with these new products and stuff. Uh, every yep. year there's the new product showcase, which gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's pretty ridiculously large. Um, 
getting bigger this year too. We've added uh, more fly fishing in it. So I'm afraid I got to get up there and try to do 37 awards in about 30 minutes that Wednesday night, <laughs> but it's well worth it. And I, there's two points I need to make on this. It, it is the, the time of the year that the, the new products are introduced because of this new product showcase. But there's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand products that are going to be put in that new product showcase. And it's very tough. It's, it's voted on by the media and by retailers. And so in a short period of time, come up with the winners there. But I need to make the point that uh, you and, and the rest of the media, it's so important to look around the rest of the floor and see what's important to your anglers, your readers, because there's thousands of new products on the floor. And just give you an example, if, if a company like Pure Fishing is going to introduce a new spinning lure, they're not going to introduce, they're not going to show off their six spinning lures. They'd be competing with each other. So they've got plenty of other lures uh, there in their, their booth that, that they'd be happy to talk about. And, and what's really fun for your listeners is that there's so much media coverage. Hundreds and hundreds of, of media folks come from around the country and the world to talk about these products and, and the social media that's come off of it's been really dramatic over the last four or five years. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'm right in there. You know, I've been going to that product showcase. I, I do have a bit of a bone to pick because it's kind of impossible to vote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's overwhelming. There's so much stuff. You hold it in your hand for a few seconds. You put it back down. Some of the products are behind glass, so you can't even really play with them. Um, yeah. to truly get us, I, I don't know. I don't know of a better way to do it. I know when we, you know, I'm also involved with boating writers international and when they do their innovation wards, um, yeah. it's a little more hands-on, but they're not dealing with so many categories and so many products. Um, it's hard to get a true sense of all that stuff in like, a, it's sort of like speed dating. You're going one to the other, the other, yeah. the other. Um, it's impressive how innovative and creative people are in this industry. There's always something that makes you go, geez, why didn't I think of that? Um, yeah. But it's really impossible to get a true sense of the product, I think. And, and it just, is. And it's sort of that first look, especially on lures. You're going to have 250 lures on a wall, and, and uh, you're going to find try to find something that's unique and different, and, and that's probably going to get all the attention. Uh, with rods, it's it's hard to choose a rod off a wall. You know, there's a hundred rods up there that uh, we do divide into categories of fly and salt and fresh, and uh, and so it, it it is hard. I I would say to the media that we don't have to vote on all 37 products. Find that the 10 categories that that you are passionate about and and make decisions on those, and uh, let let others be passionate about some of the other things. Yeah, or just have a media day and invite all those companies to bring all their gear and let us all fish it, and, and then we can truly get a sense of how it works. Okay, <laughs> fair we'll enough. Just, we'll split. We'll do a saltwater one and a freshwater one. I, I think that would be ideal. It's uh, well, so we do have um, for for the media and the, and the retailers that that Tuesday afternoon we have four hours where you can get out and, and there's. 50 plus companies out there showing off their wares that, on that the water there. Yep. There's it, the pod. But it, right but it, you can't do everything. <laughs> no, especially with that number of new products. Um, and, right. and every year they just crank it out constantly. Uh, to me, it's, it's amazing. I, I can tell you, um, and, and your, your listeners probably would agree. You know, I've got 
I'm doing most of my fishing now in the Chesapeake Bay where I, where I live. And I've got my tried and true lures and baits and, and rods and reels and lines. And, uh, and, and for me, kind of old school, it's hard to change some of the habits. But I can tell you definitively that all the manufacturers will, will say their sales are driven by new products. And, and if they don't have new products, their sales go down. And so even though a great product worked last year, you better come up with another great product this next year, uh, even though it makes sense that those other products should last for for years, if not decades, on the shelves, right? Yeah, and you see it especially on the freshwater side. Um, with all the yeah. different soft baits and things, it's like they're constantly changing and coming up with new shapes and the swimming and the sink rates, and it's it's like, holy... Well, just- Bassmaster Classic was was recent. The the, the lures it used in, to win the Bassmaster Classic is sold off the shelves that following week without without a doubt, and, and that'll be the number one seller for the year. Yeah. So part of the reason these guys represent so that they can sell more of their wares if their if their guy wins. Yeah, but again, and it all boils down to what you were saying earlier. It's but if there's if the fishery itself dies out then no one's buying anything so it's i've always appreciated how focused you are on that world and you know our listeners i think anglers journal is a little different because unlike most fishing magazines that are regional based or maybe offshore based or some sort of species we kind of cover it all so when it comes to conservation it's tough for us to really report on everything but I know so, there's big issues on almost every region of America. I don't want to get too in the weeds, but you know what are sort of high yeah. on, on your priority list right now? So I'd always say, uh, I'll say it to an industry person, I'll say it to an angler, I'll say it to the staff, you got to think nationally, act locally. You know, I could say think globally also, but you know, we've got a lot of work to do here nationally. And we're probably not going to solve all the world's problems, but we can try to solve the nation's problems. And and I will also say that people may not know it, but we are the envy of the world when it comes to fishing, meaning we've got laws and we've got regulations in place that have helped ensure that we have uh, sustainable fisheries. And the, the tax I mentioned before, the Sport Fish Restoration and Boating Trust Fund, that money goes back to the states at least 57 and a half percent do to to work on fishery uh fisheries and and uh and hatcheries and and uh access to to, to docks and, and ramps etc and and then just make maintaining a quality fishery policy and so we have great fishing in this country do we have problems absolutely do, does everybody want to fish more for red snapper in the south atlantic you betcha are the fish there yep and so we're battling the laws and uh, administration on, on some of those different those different things. And so we, we have a lot to do to, to keep working on that. With that said, the investments that are made in you know, freshwater versus salt is dramatically different as well. So when it comes to things, I'll just say more freshwater oriented, there's bass in every state and there's trout in most states. And, uh, and so between hatcheries and and water quality, we have we have relatively clean water compared to the rest of the world. You know, we have we have good fishing. The uh, the things that we're working on right now. If, if, uh, recently, we we joined with other groups to create uh, 
an aquatic invasive species report that was just sent to Congress last week to talk to them about, you know, there's billions of dollars spent on invasive species, and yet it's getting a little out of control in terms of who's doing what and the money being spent and the lack of organization and the lack of prioritization. And so this is one of those things that we can collaborate with other groups. Um, TRCP, Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnerships, took the lead on this one. We work with other groups. But our folks literally write this stuff and to, to the federal government to help them make good quality decisions so that it may not be able to ever get rid of invasive species completely, but we need to minimize, we need to try to stop them in their tracks you know, where we can. So that's something that we might be focused on fresh water nationally, but then you get into different states. And so we work with uh, local folks there to try to combat uh, issues like that. In the Northeast, in the state of Maine, try to get rid of soft plastic baits. We thought that was a bad idea. And, and turn it around and make it look, and, and because it was more of a littering issue, that people didn't realize that when they threw away their used plastic baits in the, in the water, they last for 10,000 years, uh, a lot longer than if they left them out on, on a sidewalk. And so these are things that we battle at the state legislators or regional state fish and wildlife agencies to ensure that we can support things in, in a local uh, area. Uh, but nationally, it's still going to be those five pillars I mentioned in the beginning. Okay. And with that money, which uh, that was a brilliant idea when that started so many years ago to, to generate some money to work on these things because it helps the industry. It's kind of, that's a smart approach. Do you, do you have access to see where it's spent? Like it doesn't just go in some general fund, right? It actually goes back into those things you're talking about access and habitat. Yeah. It's um, so I will, tell you that the federal government is working on it in a system called tracks which will show where the, the money is going for the specific uh, grants and projects it it's right now it's uh, not as clear but I, I i can tell you you could go to a website called partner with a payer and so i give the fish and wildlife service a lot of credit showing the partnerships that do take place between it's a public-private partnership when the manufacturers are giving funds to go to the states and the states use those. So it gives you a really good opportunity to see some of this uh, in, in action, um, supporting hatcheries, supporting access to fish, et cetera. So partner with a pair is, uh, is, is, a, is a positive from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to see some of those. But uh, otherwise, they have a they have something called TRACS, T-R-A-C-S, that they're working on to to provide better information. But it's been slow and going. Uh, uh, maybe a year from now, you'll be able to see that. But I'm, I'm going to, I'll just cross my fingers on that one. Okay. There's so many more, Charlie. I mean, uh, in California, 30 by 30 takes on a different, a whole different level where you know, President Biden, Biden and his administration, they want to protect 30% of the land by 2030. We got them to change that word more to conserve because that's really what's important. Is sometimes protect sounds like you can't use. And so we're trying to say that we still conserve this, this, these lands. California is a little more aggressive on trying to close more land and water than they already have. And so that's something that we'll continue to battle with California. Um, there's just there's so many different issues. You can find out a lot more at asafishing.org and look under our advocacy section of the of our website. 
Excellent. And it's, I appreciate all that work and I I've sat in on council meetings and I've had a taste of it. I know it's a, it's a slow burn and you got to be tenacious and you got to be polite and you got to play the game and, and you guys do it well. And, and I truly appreciate it. We, we're going to always take the high road. You know, we're going to live to fight another day and keep the door open. It's, we're not going to do ourselves any favors by, by throwing people under the bus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, that it's appreciated here in Congress and at the administration. And they see that we have the best interests of the American public in mind, as well as the, you know, the, the fish and land and conservation. And I always love when I see the politicians, like you guys organize time for politicians to get out on the water or to go to a, a facility and speak with some of the employees. And I, I think yeah. that's awesome. I, I believe in, cause they always come away. I would imagine with a, a whole new viewpoint. It's so important, and it's it's important also for for those manufacturers and for the for the employees of those manufacturers to see that that the politicians care and that they're learning and, and they realize how important you know if you if you close a fishery you're basically losing jobs. Uh, these eight hundred thousand jobs exist because fishing is available and and access is available. But when you start closing areas off and you think you're saving. Uh, the world or the species or, or the waters, what you're really doing is, is hurting the economy. Uh, we've got a big one right now, and maybe you've talked about it in some other podcasts, is the right whale issue. Yeah. And it is something that is going to dramatically impact boat sales on the East Coast of the United States, and w- as well as other businesses, if, if NOAA has their way in, in, a, in a proposal they have on having all vessels over 35 feet go under 10 knots yeah, off the east ridiculous. of the United States between November and May. And and so we're working on that. Again, we, we, we're, we're offering information. We're working with other organizations. The NMMA, uh, National Marine Manufacturers Association, which represents all the boat companies, uh, is certainly taking a, a, a lead in, in that particular um, issue. And and I think that come September, when decisions are made, hopefully, and I don't want to just say it's hope, but we've got enough information into them and they're not going to make some, some decisions that are not going to go over well with our general public. Yeah, we'll be watching that one very closely. Obviously, the majority of our advertisers are boat builders and it would yeah. cripple them. Any kind of saltwater anglers, that's just ridiculous. It's it's also the thing to... to uh, Tackle shops on the coast and and uh, charter boats. I've spoken sure. to many, and half their business in, in the winter time. You, you can't go out at ten knots if you're going to go normally uh, to say the Gulf Stream and, and spend already two to four hours commuting back and forth. Now you've just quadrupled it or tripled it the time, so it just doesn't happen. Right. So, um, and and our guys it, are the stewards out there. They are the ones spotting the problems nine times out of ten. Our our anglers and our point. boaters and and it's just the numbers for that particular issue. I I probably wrong, but it's something like a million boat hours for one interaction with a whale. It's just ridiculous. That, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, I've shared that that on uh, some news channels as well. That we have uh, we 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 perceive based on the numbers over sixty thousand boats over 35 feet, we have over 5 million trips to those boats over the last 14 years. And we would say that there have been five right, whale boats over 35 feet during that time. So it is less than a million trips 
of, of this occurring. The opportunity for us is that uh, we want to turn this around and show how we can come up with ideas using technology to be aware of where the right whales are, whether you're tagging each of them with a satellite type tag or the communication between boats and anglers to, to make people aware of where, where, where they have been spotted. And, uh, and so uh, Vikings taking the lead on that right now with the technology team to come up with ideas that, that would help make good decisions for the federal government. Yeah, I, that, that was our, I, I, we talked about that at the boat show. It's like, yeah, we'll just tell you where the whales are and then tell everyone to stay out of that area instead right. of trying to close off. You know, you can't like just go build a gate in the ocean. And it's just kind of crazy. That's um, right. Well, let's get to something that I'm a little bit more passionate about, and that's just taking kids fishing. I know that's always been a big thing is to try to get more people into the sport. And I've really appreciated how, um, your organization and some of the ones you work with are trying to get more females into the sport, young girls, young people. Um, you know, it's not just for, it's for all races, all creeds, everything. So how's, how's that effort going? So, my friends at the Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation, they're, they're actually only three blocks away here from my office. Uh, I'm on their board of directors, and their focus, you know, their mission is to increase participation in fishing and boating. And, and so that's how they spend their time when it comes to, to working on this problem. And, and so we can, like we said, 50 million anglers is a lot, and, and 12 million registered boats, and 100 million people boating. It all sounds well and good, but you can see just based on uh, demographics that that we're still falling behind with with who the folks are that are coming up in you know, the younger generation. And history supports that unless you started fishing by the age of 12, then there's an 85% or so chance that you will never go fishing. And so it's so important that we make sure that the kids have the opportunity to experience fishing between the ages of 6 and 12. And so where is that? Well, it's at the home, it's at the schools, it's, you know, it's in the camps. And, uh, and so we have a lot of work to do in that vein. Like you mentioned, uh, we have a, a big opportunity when it comes to involving women and, and uh, multicultural families, Hispanics, et cetera, that uh, right now it's about two thirds, almost 70% of the fishing participants have been men. And, uh, and women want to fish too. And, and so RBFF has spent a lot of time focusing on that because they're going to do the work. I tell our board of directors, we've got a, a great board at ASA made up of sport fish manufacturers and, and the mix of, of our industry. And the 21 of them, you know, are very focused, uh, on, on increasing participation, but selling to the current audience of anglers. That current audience of anglers is not going to be around forever. And so somebody, meaning RBFF, is the one is the group spending time to promote uh, fishing and boating to a new generation of, of anglers and boaters. And so they're going to be they, they have their website, takemefishing.org. And I recommend everybody check it out. It's not just for beginners. It's, it's also what to use and where to fish and, and some great videos and, and heartwarming stories and, and, and really gives a lot of information on how to have people involved in fishing. But they also are focused on uh, the Hispanics and, and, and new generations because they, they actually per, uh, participate in fishing at a lower rate than non-Hispanics right now. 
And so they're, they're doing the work that others aren't willing to do to involve other audiences. And, and I, I applaud them for those efforts. And well, we still got a lot of work to do. Yeah. It's, it, and it's so rewarding to just get someone out there. Like that's something we can all help with. It's, it's as easy as right. grabbing some neighborhood kids and just, you don't even have to have a boat. Just take them out to the, take them to a pond, take them wherever. And a mutual friend of ours, Dave both, I said something to me, Dave was at Coast at the time. He's now the president of Pure Fishing. But before I had kids, I was talking with him and someone else who were parents. And I mentioned how my nephews were really into gaming and it's hard to get them outside. And he looked at me and he goes, that's BS. He goes, I've never once asked a kid, do you want to go fishing? And had them say no. And then when I had kids... I was like, gosh, he is so right. It's really on us to just do it. There's no doubt about it, Charlie. And I love your social media with your boys. And, and the, when you're catching fish, it, it makes the heart you know, feel good to, to see it. And, uh, and I know how much you're enjoying it. You enjoy it maybe more than they do in that re- regard. Uh, same with my son, Connor, who, who I grew up trying to take fishing as often as I could. And the photos I have behind my desk of him catching some beautiful fish uh, over the years. And, and now he works in the industry and is doing really well. And, and I'm just so proud of him, but it's, it was growing up and in, in, around a fishing family that, that, that has just been a joy now into a career. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. The apple didn't fall too far there, Glenn. No, not, not yet. So uh, <laughs> good, bad or indifferent. He's, he's an amazing kid. And I, and I, and I love that uh, he's, he's now, um, He's not following my footsteps. He's just he's just involved in the industry, and it's and it's really exciting. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very cool that, to bump into him at iCast and stuff. Yeah, thanks. You, you've 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 known him since he was a little kid. Yeah, yeah, he's for gonna, sure. He's going to be thirty this year, Charlie. Oh, <laughs> so we're getting old. Yes, we yeah. are, and and I know your time is very valuable. I I really appreciate you sitting down with us, Glenn, and and explaining some of this stuff and. I encourage all of our readers to check out those websites, takemefishing.org and asafishing.org and, and do your part and get out there and bring some kids, women, neighbors, just go have fun. It's more fun that way. It's absolutely more fun. Charlie, I appreciate you and, and the work that you're doing and, and always, uh, you know, uh, impressed by Mr. Sisson and the group. Uh, you know, I started my, my career at Power and Motor Yacht back in 1988. And, uh, and it, it's gone from there to, to get to do some pretty cool things, no doubt about it. That's awesome. That's great. Well, I look forward to seeing you at ICAST, my friend. Me too. I'll be there. Bell's on. <laughs> All right, Glenn. Have a great day. Thanks again. Charlie, take care. Go fish.